0: You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. I'm really excited to teach from this passage today, one that uh, has a couple phrases that we use in our society, things like turn the other cheek or go the extra mile, stuff that people have heard but maybe don't even know it's actually from Jesus and actually very, very challenging uh, things that Jesus said here. But before we jump in, I'll introduce myself because I see some new faces. My name's Justin. I serve as the associate pastor here at Midtown and just want to really welcome you. We're so glad that you're here and congrats to everyone for fighting the marathon traffic, reading your email or looking at the map and doing things right, so Appreciate you guys really uh, battling through that to be here and trust that God's going to do great things as he already has. I love hearing the stories about what God's done and really, really enjoyed the first worship set this morning, just focusing on on Jesus. Uh, We're continuing in our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We actually took like a little bit of a break from it. We started it last fall, took a little break to celebrate Jesus during Christmas, and then we took a little bit of a break extended to celebrate this new place that God has uh, given us. But now we're back in the Sermon on the Mount. We're actually going to stay in this all the way through uh, the start of the summer, so it's going to be real fun for us. Today, wrapping up uh, chapter five. And as you may have heard, or maybe you've heard, if you go back and listen to the other ones that we've done, this is a kind of neat part where, where Jesus is kind of doing this little rhythmic kind of teaching in this back half of, of chapter five, where he's saying, you have heard that it was said, and what he's doing, he does that, is he's actually pointing back to things that were actually in the Old Testament that the people would have believed. And in some cases, it's a mix of what was in the Old Testament or just what people were saying at that time, just culturally, the way that the religious culture had taught. But then he's gonna say, but I say to you, He's going to challenge them to think differently. And there's six different rhythms of this, and we're going to look at the fifth and the sixth as we wrap up chapter five today. The first two, if you remember, were on murder and adultery, two of the great commands. And Jesus says, it's not just, "You've heard, don't commit adultery, don't commit murder." but I tell you the real issue is what's going on in your heart. It's really about lust. It's really about anger. So he's trying to get to the heart of these commands that these people are believing. The second two were related to actually breaking oaths, breaking oaths and breaking oaths of of marriage and divorce. And Jesus says, it points out several ways that they were trying to actually be clever and even use the religious ways around breaking their oaths. And he says, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to keep your oaths to your wife, to your friendships, to your business partners, to your families. And today we're going to look at the last two. These last two deal with how we treat our enemies. And Jesus, when he says this whole part, when he says... You have heard that it was said. What he's really doing is he's doing a cultural critique. He's telling them, this is what you've heard. This is kind of the religious culture. This is the things that you've heard. This is what you're steeped in. This is what you've been taught. And it's just so much a part of what you believe. I'm here to challenge it a little bit. You've heard that it was said, but I tell you this. And so today he's going to say the same thing when it comes to how we love our enemies in this fifth and sixth kind of rhythm that he goes through. Now, to get a little context, and I hope this can be made more personal, but in their context, who would have been their enemies? The people that Jesus was addressing on the Sermon on the Mount would have definitely had a couple common enemies, and then probably certainly in their own personal life had all kinds of different enemies. But we know that at least the common enemy that they had was Rome. They were being occupied by another people. So when he's talking about loving your enemies, he's talking probably about Rome. He's talking about tax collectors. They were the enemies, right? Because they were their own people that actually turned and supported the Romans and took money from them probably talking about people with other religions. They had other pagan religions and people who weren't worshiping God, and they were on their land and not worshiping the way that they did. On top of that, I'm sure they had family problems, personal problems, any number of enemies that they could have. So what I want to do today is give you just a second to think to yourself right now, who are your enemies? I want you to try to to grasp that, because when we go into this and we look at this very difficult passage, I want you to have people in mind. And for some of you, that's going to be an actual person, because you Would identify an actual person in your life, that you'd say, yeah, that's kind of an enemy right now. For others of us, it might not be a single person, but it's actually like a whole group of people because we're pretty tribal, aren't we, especially nowadays. What are your enemies? Let God bring them to your mind as we look at this passage together. Enemies in our day, I think, would be things like people on the different side of the political aisle, right? We hate the people of the other party. We disdain their leaders. Maybe it's people on the different side of the COVID issues. master, or Vaccinated, not vaccinated. Cautious, not cautious. Maybe it's with the issue of Black Lives Matters protesters versus back in the police. Maybe it's Antifa versus the insurrectionists. Who's your enemy? It's immigration. Maybe it's undocumented citizens. And maybe from some of you, it's actually ICE and those that enforce the immigration laws. Maybe it's socialists. Maybe it's capitalists. Maybe it's rich people. Maybe it's poor people. Maybe it's people that you deem to be immoral, either sexually or how they use their wealth. Maybe it's churches, churches that are more successful than you are, churches that don't do the things the way that you do or have a different ideology or theology. Maybe it's coworkers, that coworker that just is one-upping you all the time and getting the favor. Maybe it's those who look better than you. Maybe it's those that have more stuff than you. Maybe it's someone that actually really hurt you, like yesterday or 20 years ago. Who are your enemies? Sadly, in today's culture, with all the division that we're having, I find that it's actually people's family members can even be among that list, sadly. Do you feel some of that? Do you feel some of that in our tension in our society? What makes things worse is it's actually being curated for us. Like media and social media, they are curating the news to get rage because rage drives ratings and ratings collects money. Rage gets more clicks. Rage gets more downloads. Rage gets more eyeballs. And the money follows. And they're curating rage to try to pit us against one another at every turn. So the question is, how do we, as followers of Jesus, take a different approach? How do we let God transform us from the inside out that we bring the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of this world. I think if Jesus was here today and he was to say, you have heard it said, one of the things related to this passage, you've heard it said, like, hate your enemies. Demonize that other side. Be tribal. But I'm going to say to you something different, we'll look at that today. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is all about how we become citizens of the kingdom. What does it look like to be citizens of God's kingdom and do things differently than the way of the world? And we say with our vision that we want to say, in Austin as in heaven, The question I want to pose is, how can we break this cycle of us versus them? It's all around us, us versus them, us versus them at every corner. How can we, living under the reign of Jesus, living in his kingdom, bring something different? That's what we'll look at today. If you're taking notes, the first first point would be, uh, how do we break the cycle of us versus them? And I think it's pretty clearly in this first passage that Jesus says it's by not retaliating, but instead, overcoming evil. A tooth, let me read it again to you 38 through 42. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks of you and do not turn away from them. Uh, do not turn away the one who wants to borrow from you. How do you break the cycle? You break the cycle by not retaliating, and not only not retaliating, by actually doing something good instead, overcoming evil with good. Now, this might be kind of a weird passage because you think, well, this is, this is like actually in the Bible, an eye for an eye and tooth for tooth, and Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 29 all have this, this, this command to the Jewish people that the way they were supposed to govern their society was by this rule. And it might seem kind of barbaric. You might look at it and go, whoa, that's kind of harsh that they would have a rule like that. But, but you have to realize in that day, in that culture, this was actually a law that protected people from more harm because they would just one-up each other. With every single thing that you did, bad. someone could do something worse, and it would just go worse from worse to worse, and so this is actually a law meant to contain evil, just an eye for an eye, just a tooth for a tooth. And so we're going to see Jesus, though, is going to turn this on its head. I know a, lit, a little bit about this, this uh, concept of, of why a rule like this would be good, because when I was in college, uh, my roommates and I we pulled a ton of pranks on each other, and we had this one rule. We called it the law, the law of infinite returns. You can see this, this could be bad, right? And so the law of infinite returns state that if you do a prank on me, I don't have to pay you back in kind, I can pay you infinitely back. It doesn't have to match what you did to me, I can infinitely pay you back. And you can imagine with 18 to 22-year-old boys that with not yet fully formed brains, this got out of hand really quickly, or to quote uh, Ron Burgundy. That escalated quickly. Yes, yes, it did. So what turned out is just being cold water being poured on you in a shower, you know, then turned into being firecrackers thrown to you while you're in the shower. Turned into being woken up in the middle of the night with clashing symbols. Turned to putting snakes in each other's beds. Yes, it did happen. And it turned, turned ultimately to me coming home one day and finding my entire bedroom furniture and all of my clothes neatly arranged just as they were in my room, but outside by the pool at the apartment complex. And it made me think, you know what, someone needs to stop this cycle, and I guess I'm going to be the bigger man now. This has got to stop because it didn't take but just a couple hours for me to pull all that stuff back up into my room. That's the law of infinite return. So you can see why this would be a good law, right? We want a law that says eye for eye, tooth for tooth at the very least. But Jesus is going to tell his followers something very different. He's going to say not only this is what you've heard, but I'm telling you now not to retaliate at all, but instead to do something good in return. And he gives them four illustrations, Right? It says, if you've been slab coat as well, turn the other cheek. If someone's trying to sue you for, for your, your shirt, give them your coat as well. If someone tells you go one mile, you're going to go two miles instead. If someone wants to borrow something, just give it to them. That's difficult, isn't it? I mean, that's radical. So when, when people around the culture are using these terms and talking about the extra mile or turn the other cheek, they don't know what they're talking about. This is very, very hard teaching. It's radical because we're supposed to do good when people hurt us. Respond back that way and break the cycle of evil and violence. When you pay people back, it just starts the cycle all over again. Evil is going to turn to evil, turn to evil, turn to evil. And the only way you can put a plug in it is by doing what Jesus said here, not retaliating. Instead, not just retaliating, then you actually do good in its place. I think one of the things that we ought to do when, when someone does something against us or we have an enemy or something comes against us like that, is just step back and say, what is a creative way, God, that I can be a blessing and return a blessing? Now, I'm sure this causes a lot of questions, and I'm actually at the very end going to get to some questions because you read a passage like this and you're like, I'm pretty sure Jesus doesn't mean every time I'm supposed to do this. There's probably a lot of different hypothetical situations we could create, and I want to get to those. But what I really want to press you in to do uh, before I get to that is just don't let your mind go to the hypotheticals. Don't let your mind go to things that aren't really happening in your life right now. Think about the things that are happening in your life right now and wrestle with this, these very difficult commands, not to retaliate, but to actually give something back in return. What's something creative that you can do to break the cycle of evil and retribution in your life? I think, uh, you know, we probably all are in different situations, so the answer is going to be different for all of us, but I can think of a, a couple ways that are probably really similar that we probably all wrestle with. It's things like don't hit that reply button, Don't send that tweet. (laughs) Don't participate in that conversation online. Don't go over their head to the boss and try to get someone in trouble. Don't try to rally a team to be on your side. Don't do that thing that you know you don't want to do. Don't say that thing that you know you ought not say. What would doing good look like? It would be giving a kind word in reply. It would be speaking well of others behind their back. It would be providing something that they actually need. It might be just meeting a need, which we'll talk about later. It'd be finding a way to be a blessing instead of continuing the cycle of cursing. I love the way Paul in Romans 12 picks up on the same concept. You can tell some of what Jesus said must have sunk down into him because it sounds so similar. In Romans 12, a little long passage here, but I want to read it all. Blessed are those who per- uh, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If, if, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you he will keep burning coals on his head, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You see it so repeated over and over again. Bless, don't curse, don't repay, don't take revenge. The way you're going to overcome this is by overcoming it with good, not by continuing the cycle of evil. It's the command of Jesus. That's what we need to do if we want to break the cycle. We need to stop retaliating instead, give good. Let's go now to the sixth rhythm of, of Jesus in this way that he's teaching. And this is the, answering the question, uh, how do we love them, the people in the them category, us versus them? How do we love them? It's by praying for them, by serving them, and befriending them. Look what Jesus says in, in Matthew 5, 48. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that, your children, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Again, Jesus is doing the same kind of thing where he's taking something that was in Scripture. The first part of that is in Scripture, love your neighbor. The second part is not hate your enemy, but the religious culture of that day was finding ways of people to hate, and so he's criticizing them for their culture. You kind of get the story a little bit when, when Jesus was once asked by a religious leader, like, well, what is the greatest command? He says, well, love God and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the, right away, the first thing the guy asked, well, who's my neighbor? because that's what they were doing that day. They were trying to say, yes, I do want to honor God's command to love my neighbor, but I want to help try to redefine what neighbor is so I can figure out which people I can leave out of this group, the people that I don't have to love, the people that in fact, as it seems like they said here, hate your enemies. Who can I leave out of this group? Who can I be angry at? Who can I take revenge against? And Jesus is going to say, no, you guys are getting it wrong. It's not love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It's Love everyone. You know that they were doing that. And he, he said, well, specifically, the way that they could do it was by doing these three things, by praying, by serving, and by befriending. First thing he says is by praying for them, right? He says, love your neighbor and not hate your enemies. He says, you're supposed to pray for your enemies. Pray for them. One of the best ways that you can see your heart change towards someone that you're mad at, someone that you want to bring retribution against, is to actually start to pray blessing over them to pray for them, because it starts to change your heart to where you want the best interest in that person, and that's what God wants for them, and what God wants for you to have that freedom to love in that way as well. I remember uh, when I was doing campus ministry at UT, one of the biggest things that we did every year was a big event called Res Week. It was during, set short for Resurrection Week, so during the week of Easter, all the different campus ministries would cancel all their stuff. we just have United stuff at the middle of campus for five straight days and nights. It was wonderful. Why don't you really, really have this vision about, I think it was about 2001, we had a vision that we wanted to have a, a tent right in the middle of campus where we would have worship and prayer 24 hours a day uh, during res week. And so UT equals red tape. So when you go to UT and you try to do all this stuff, there's tons of red tape that you have to go through. And, and there's particularly this one administrator that year. She was brand new to the position of the dean of students, the one that had all ultimate authority to, to say whether we could do this event like we wanted to or not. And she just kept putting stuff in my way and stuff in my way and stuff in my way. And our students were getting frustrated. I was getting frustrated. I was like calling lawyers, literally, like trying to figure out what I should do. And then all of a sudden, we had this campus minister prayer that met every Wednesday morning. And one morning while I was driving to campus minister prayer, God just really convicted my heart. And said, Justin, you've been praying against her. You need to start praying for her oh man, that's pretty hard, because <laughs> I'd actually had a prayer point that was already prepared for us to start praying together with the other college pastors and leading them this disgruntled prayer, and God just convicted me. I said, you guys, I'm going to change this up, and we said, let's just pray. I won't say her name, but we, we said her name, and we prayed for her by name, and we just prayed for a blessing on her and said, this is what we have, we have to do, let's just keep praying for her. A couple hours later, I get a call that everything was approved. I don't know, that was just a test for me, I kind of think that it was, but something happened there There's a tangible reminder for me that those that I think are against me, those I want to have as enemies, start by praying for them and see what God can do. He might not change them, in fact, most of the time he probably won't, but he will change you, and that's what you need anyway. Service is another way. Look what he says, he says, he points to the Father and how the Father actually serves the righteous and the unrighteous. The Father serves both the us and the them in the story. He says, even your father, he brings sun to the the wicked and the righteous. He brings rain to the land of the wicked and the righteous. Like, this is what your father does. Your father continually gives blessing and gives and gives and gives. And so one way that we can respond is to actually do something kind for our enemies. We can actually overcome evil by doing good, by actually serving the people that we have animosity toward. Going back to Romans, we won't read the whole thing, but back to Romans 12, look again at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, do not curse. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to eat. See? What you're supposed to do is actually give something back. That's how you overcome evil, by doing good, finding a way to actually bless someone, not curse them. While there's no promise that it's gonna make your situation better, it's my experience that it often does when you do that. When you take a step to break the cycle by actually overcoming evil, by doing something good, by finding a way to serve, to give them a meal or meet a need or do something for them, what often happens is things change. It's not a promise that it will, but things often do. Back to my uh, campus ministry days, one of the, uh, one of my favorite memories was working with these group of students, small group about four or five Christian students that lived in the Pearl Street Co-op. If y'all don't know what a co-op is, it's kind of like it's like a dorm, except there's no authority, except the people that live in the dorm. <laughs> and so they are like their own little government. And it, it, may, it might be different now, but at the time at UT, people who lived in co-ops were usually like, kind of like anarchists, and they just, they just kind of wanted no authority. They wanted to live the hippie lifestyle and all commune together, and everyone provides and cooks all the meal. And let's just say they weren't very Jesus-friendly. We had five of these, these students who were believers that lived in there, and they just started praying together. And they thought, you know, well, what we'll do is we'll just go door to door and we'll start collecting prayer requests from all the people. And so they would just regularly have this weekly prayer meeting where they've got to find out all these people that hated them. It was awesome. And one day when they were praying, they just felt like, you know, we've got to find a way to serve. Another thing I didn't mention about the co-ops are actually known for very, very lewd, lewd, lewd parties. And they decided, this new party was on the calendar, they decided what they were going to do at the end of the party is they were just going to clean up everyone's mess afterward. And these parties were filthy, like just stuff everywhere. And so the next morning when everyone's waking up, hungover. They wake up to a spotless dorm, spotless co-op. Everyone's asking the question like, what? Who, who did this? Why? what? It was the five Christians. They stayed up all night cleaning up after everyone just to be a blessing. You know what happened? Several more people said, I might come to that prayer meeting after all. People started coming, and a few people came to faith. Just by taking a simple act of service, and not doing things in retribution to the persecution they were receiving, but finding a way to serve, opened a door and led some people to faith. Service, third way, is by making a friend. The final thing Jesus told them was to befriend people. And he does that when he talks about them greeting. He says, you know, if you shy away, only greet the people who are like you. If you only welcome in and greet the us and shy away from the them and they're not welcome inside your circle, how, how different are you than the rest of the world? And in Jesus' eyes, People, citizens of the kingdom, we don't do that. We don't divide. Everyone's welcome. Everyone gets greeted. Everyone can become a friend. That's what he's calling them to do, to greet. It's very different from the world. I think if there's anything in the world that we need right now, it's this. For people to make friends across all the different, bevy of divisiveness and, and, and sides and us versus thems that we see in our world right now. Going back to Romans chapter 12, you'll see it again here. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in a harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. There's so much conceit in our division, so much conceit that we have against our enemies where we just don't see them even as human sometimes. It's like they don't even count. They're, they're, they're beneath us to even talk to. They to won't even know their perspective or get to know them. How radical it is, though, if we, under Jesus' leadership and his being the king and being under his kingdom authority, living out, we can actually befriend people from all different places and love people, even if we disagree with them. Jesus constantly spent time, you guys know this, he constantly spent time with thems in his society. So he was just as comfortable, at the, at the, you know, seated at the Pharisee's house as he was with the tax collector's house, as he was to go visit a Roman shol, sol, soldier's soldier's house, <laughs> easy for me to say. Citizens of the kingdom, what we do is we befriend the thems, friendships among the most powerful tools of breaking the cycle versus us and them. Our society has become more and more tribal. People hardly even, you know this, people hardly even know how to have a relationship with someone that's different than them right now. Like we are just stuck in our little silos and we just do things our own way and we don't let anyone else in and we just demonize and tribalism all over the place. But if you make some friends, I think you can help bring a cycle to an end. You know what I think can be one of the most beautiful things in our world right now? Because you rarely see friends that are from different tribes, rarely see a gathering where people actually have different views on a number of different subjects, people just are with people like them how beautiful, what a testimony it is if we, as a church, can be the type of church with great diversity and all things not central, united around Christ and our, and our faith in Him, how vastly different we would be. People can't get that. They, they can't get that anywhere else. It doesn't exist hardly anywhere. But that's the hope of what we can present to the world when we're united in Christ and we're committed to following the kingdom and following our King and doing things his way, not retaliating, but letting our good overcome evil. Now, I said that I would take a minute just to talk about some some things, and I'm actually not going to try to answer these questions, but I tried to focus as much of this message as I could on things that are actually happening in your life right now, something for you to think about, not just hypotheticals that are out there, but I know that there are things that are out there that are worth mentioning, but I'm not going to answer them. I'm going to encourage you to actually talk about them amongst yourselves. Um, The first would be, to say this for certain, turning the the other cheek does not mean that you open yourself to the same level of relationship and availability with someone. See, if you've been physically abused, Jesus doesn't want you to turn the other cheek and continue to be abused. That doesn't mean that you can't forgive someone. You can forgive someone without giving them the trust and availability and access to your life. So that, I think, needs to be said. Then you've got all these other hypothetical situations, Right? Like, do you, give, do you give to someone if they're trying to take advantage of you? Uh, do, do you give to someone if you don't think it's actually for their good? Uh, does this mean that Christians should never sue someone? Uh, what about self-defense? What about defending someone else? What if you work in law enforcement or the justice system or the military? Why do so many Christians fight against each other, and why did so many kill each other in history? What do you say? It's how should Christians engage in war today? Well, I can tell you from church history <laughs> that there have been very many different uh, landing spots when it comes to some of these bigger bigger questions. And I would encourage you guys to, to look at them, to talk about them. But I really want you to think about yourself and how this applies to us in our culture and our time right now, more so than the hypothetical situations. But I wanted to at least admit that they were there. And when there is a difficult situation, you have to say, I'm not sure how I apply this in this specific situation. The, the question that I would recommend asking is, Is what's the most loving thing to do? Try to discern what's the most loving thing that you can do in that situation. And I think Jesus will give you wisdom. I'm gonna take us now to one last uh, part, and we can have actually our communion folks begin to distribute the communion while I share this. If you're like me, this is like, you're like, man, this is a lot. Like, how do I really do this? This is really going to be hard to do. If you're asking that question, that's the same question that I asked when I was studying this week. Just, man, this is really hard teaching. So how can we do this? And i like to offer two, two reasons or two ways. How can we uh, be good and how can, how can we do good and how can we love the thems in our lives? It starts by remembering the gospel, remembering that we were a them to God. We were enemies of God. And it begins by looking at Jesus' example, the one who himself did not retaliate, but instead he offered good to break the cycle, the ultimate cycle of sin. First, we need to remember the gospel. Primarily, we need to remember that we were a them. We were a them in God's eyes. Y'all can go ahead and distribute that. That's great. Listen to Romans 5, how it describes what we are like apart from Christ. Since we now have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through his death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. We were enemies of God; we were the "them"s in His category. We should have been excluded from fellowship with Him. Yet, that's the very thing that Jesus did was provide a way for us to be reconciled to Him. We were enemies, and I think it's only when we constantly remind ourselves of this when you start to drum up negativity towards someone and start to see them as an enemy. To take a step back, remember the gospel that you are an enemy of God and of Christ and how he loved you, that's what you're going to need to go to, to enable you to have the power to not retaliate, but to do good. But the second thing I think we need to do is we need to look to Jesus as his example. You know, Peter was there that day when he was here on the Sermon on the Mount, and he heard these words, and so he Jesus' life, and he would later describe Jesus' life this way in First Peter. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow his steps. So listen to that. Christ suffered for us. This is our example. This is one for us to follow. And what does it say about him? He committed no sin. No deceit was in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He bore our sins in his body on a cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. For we are all like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Going back to verse 23. They hurled insults at him, yet he did not retaliate. He didn't sin with his words. He didn't retaliate, but he offered instead to do good. And that good was the ultimate good that we can celebrate when we have communion. It was the best good. It was on Good Friday that he gave us the best gift that he could give us himself. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.